Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata back with you guys. And for the first time in a while, a little bit of a breather for the Tar Heels and a much needed one after a very thrilling victory over Wake Forest, but one that saw the Tar Heels defense just get absolutely pummeled for two and a half quarters before finally collecting themselves, finishing strong and allowing Carolina to complete an amazing comeback. I put in my article that it was the biggest comeback in program history. I, uh, I believe I got that wrong. I believe it's the second biggest. I believe, uh, weren't they down 24 to Georgia Tech in that game back in 2015? No, it was 21. No, you're right about 21. 21. So tied for the tied for the biggest uh, in program history. So how about that for Carolina? That was a game where – I mean, pretty much midway through the third quarter, Carolina's down 21. You're looking at yourself saying this is a team that's probably going to lose this game the way they've been playing. They could potentially lose their final two games of the season um, in the ACC and then turn around, potentially beat Western Carolina at the end of the year, you would hope, uh, but would ultimately be a six and five football team. Disappointment would be the, the, the you know overall headline for the season. And all of a sudden, Carolina's defense woke up. Sam Howell became the guy that we were, you know, expecting him to be when he stepped on campus and had shown us at times last year in the fourth quarter coming from behind and completing the comeback this time. Granted, the ones last year didn't have to come from behind as much, not saying that Sam was the reason behind losing those games earlier this year, but really just an amazing overall comeback for Carolina in this one. And one that was, uh, I mean, look, you know, it's it's a thrilling one that will go down in, uh, you know, Lee Pace's second edition of football in a forest. But uh, it's also one that you really, really have to improve upon because there were a lot, a lot of bad that were surrounding this team as well. Yeah, I think you got to take this for what it's worth. You're you're happy you got the win and the comeback is is great. Carolina finally found the, a way to come back from being down 21. That's the fir- third time this year they've been down three touchdowns or more. First time they finally came back and it completed the yep. comeback. 
but you've still got to look at that film from the first 35 to 40 minutes of the game and you got to burn it on the defensive side of the football because they that was Vic Coning-esque bad. You made a Wake Forest offense with Doug Granite, came in putting up numbers, averaging 37 points a game, but that looked like one of the top offenses in the ACC. You made a mediocre quarterback tread you and look like a guy that was on par with Sam Howell. And it was just a very long, frustrating day. And then all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb went off and they started getting stops and one thing led to another. We just kind of compared it to it's one of those games that Carolina will win in basketball where they find themselves down 16 to 18 points. You don't think there's a chance. They get one stop. The next thing you know, they win the ball game. And that's just what it felt like. It was like once Carolina got that one stop, it just kind of carried over from there. Because the offense outside of that middle part of the second third or uh, the second quarter or the beginning of the third was in rhythm from more go. Yes. And they were doing their job. The defense just wasn't holding their end of the bargain. And once they did, Sam Howell turned into a god and made throws, made plays every time they asked him to. The receivers did a good job fighting through contact and make plays. And they they put together a hell of a comeback. But it's still something that you've got to look at and realize the only reason why you're feeling good is because you got a W. Because for the most part, you were out-coached, you were out-schemed, you were out-played, and that can't happen when you come back from this bye week. Yeah, I mean, the defensive number's not great. Uh, you know, I mean, offensively, you know, the numbers were kind of on par. Both sides of the ball, you know, you put up a lot of yards, you let up a lot of yards. Yeah. You put up 20 big plays, uh, both, you know, in the run game and passing game combined. Wake Forest put up 19 of those plays, 15 or more yards down the field. So, Wake Forest was able to match you in just about every entity because your defense was just lost at times. Your secondary had a lot of miscommunications, which is, you know, something that we thought could definitely happen. I mean, you still got some guys that are in their first year. You're going to have games like that. First year starters, I should say, yeah. with Don Chapman and Cameron Kelly. You got uh, DeAndre Hollins, who had a really rough game in this, you know, this past weekend. But again, DeAndre is a guy that, you know, has really thrived as a rotational yeah. corner, a guy that can come in in late in games or in the middle of games help you out if you need a breather for some of your guys it's starting to show that teams are able to start to pick apart pick him apart as he sort of gets you know deeper into his start you know having to start um hopefully you know he when we come back from the bye week he may not be forced to have to start that game against Notre Dame that might go back to Kyler McMichael or God forbid, maybe Storm Duck is somehow able to play, um, although that seems highly unlikely. But, you know, I think the main thing um, and, you know, you got to You got to hand it to their coach. Defensive line coach Tim Cross was the guy that really seemed to inspire the comeback. That was one of the things that sort of stood out when we heard from uh, Katie George on the sideline saying that Tim Cross stood up, had a really passionate speech while, when Carolina came back onto the field down by 14 after they cut the lead to 45 to 31. That really changed the pace of the game. But overall, his defensive line unit, really the front four, which isn't all on him because the outside linebackers, of course, are coached by Javon DeWitt. They did not have a good game at all, primarily Timon Fox, who played the most snaps of any of the front four guys and did not even register a single quarterback hurry or assisted tackle. He was non-existent in the game. Can't happen. Yeah, Carolina for the first 
two and a half quarters, got their ass kicked up front on the defensive side of the football. Wake Forest did whatever they wanted to do with them. They put them where they wanted to go. They shoved them, they, you know, and it it was very evident. I saw a, a reporter tweet that on the very first drive of the game when yep. Wake Forest walked right down the field and scored. Mm-hmm. And that stood until about the end of the third quarter going into the fourth. And then something happened. Tim Cross, as we know, was a very emotional guy from when he got hired and he had the let's get this work chant. He has that ability to connect with his guys. And that message, even though you're down 45 to 31, it, you're, you're dog tired because you've been on the field for 75, 80 plays at that point. There's really no energy in an, in an empty Keenan Stadium. They were able to dig deep find the, you know, the, the, the extra inch or two to, to play a little bit hard, play a little bit tougher, and it all came together. Jay Bateman simplified the scheme a little bit, took some guys off the field and just said, the hell with, we'll play with some of our young guys, and it benefited him. Yep. And it was just one of those things that, like, it, it you know, because at, at that point you felt like you're not going to win the game, so you're just trying anything, and then it, it actually worked. And it's just one of those things that now Carolina has something to, to, to build off of, to work with, because they have some results seeing that they can be – an effective defensive team, which we know they can be. But the right. biggest issue, and I tweeted this during the game, is the biggest problem that they have right now is carrying is that consistency that we've heard Mac Brown say all year long. And had they lost that game, that would have been brought up again. And it still needs to be brought up because they were down 21 at home to Wake Forest. That shows that the program still has ways to go on and off the field. But um, it was still something fun to watch. And, and for Jay Bateman, I, it's got to feel good for him because Tar Heel fans are, are, are not happy with him. There was a lot of people fire Bateman. You know, what the hell is this guy doing? But hopefully he has a bye week to look at what he did right in that third end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and he can scheme that for Notre Dame because that's going to tell tell your season. So where are we at with Bateman? I I think, you know, we need to have a frank discussion about this because I'm not I'm not in the fire Bateman camp. There's a lot of things that play a factor into that. I'm assuming, I mean, from just us discussing this afterwards, what we saw the reaction from the fan base overall we're kind of on the same page in the fact that it might be just a little bit too early to say, okay, time to, time to start over. No matter like, no matter what this guy does down the stretch, it's he's toast. I, I think if that happens, they have to get, they have to give up 45 plus to Notre Dame and Miami. And, and it just looks like, which is unfortunately possible. That's a possibility. I think, you know, in the back of Mac Brown's head, a good friend just became a, a, an available coach and will must champ. Yep. That's a guy that could would probably get some names to come in because he's going to rebuild his ability to be a head coach after his time at South Carolina. So that's going to play a factor. I think, I think Matt Brown's committed and is willing to stick with him, but they've got to show signs of, of improvement against uh, Notre Dame and against Miami, or he'll or he'll enter that third year almost coaching for his job. I, I would say that's probably fair. I think that's probably where he'll be at. I feel like it's really hard to give up on him uh, this quickly, mainly because you look at the performance of the young guys the last two weeks, the guys that he has recruited for his system. And look, I know that everybody wants to use those cliches. You say, oh, well, this isn't Mac's team or whatever. This isn't the team he recruited. What That shouldn't be an excuse. I, I understand that. But at the same time, when you have a complex scheme like the one that Jay Bateman wants to run, you have to have guys that fit that system. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're seeing guys like Timon Fox, guys like Tyrone Hopper, guys like Tamari Fox even a little bit, who was even recruited by the staff but was mainly because Carolina had a decent connection with them and they needed bodies in there. Yeah. They're, they're not – the, the positions that they're currently at right now, they just don't fit well. They're fighting. That's the other thing. These guys are fighting as hard as they can, but they're just, they don't 
have the skill set to play these positions. But the guys that do were the guys that we saw prepared for it. Chris Collins took a year off last year to sort of get familiar with the system, get his body to where it needed to be to play that outside linebacker spot. He's looked good the last two weeks. You then talk about, uh, you know, some of the guys up front that rotated in. I thought Kevin Hester Jr. looked great when he came in, really sort of gave this group some energy up front. I thought Clyde Pinder looked pretty good as well in the limited reps that we saw him, a bigger body, guy that's going to play more of a nose tackle type feel, kind of what you're lacking this year. Raymond Velasic is, is, you know, again, trying his best to fit that position. He's over 300 pounds. He's been physical. But again, you've seen as the season has wore on with him and Tamari Fox, they had the energy early in the season to be able to make plays there. But as the season has grinded on against these bigger offensive linemen, they've gotten worn down. Raymond Velasic's gotten banged up. And you're starting to see these guys just don't fit those positions that well. The guys that are behind them that we saw rotate in in this game, like Hester, like um, like Pinder, like Miles Murphy, who's played pretty good over the past two weeks, those are the types of guys that you feel encouraged about. And it's probably a reason why – to say, okay, you need to just go ahead and move on from Bateman. I mean, again, with the Will Muschamp thing, I think makes it really interesting. That's a conversation that I think once the season ends, for sure, we're going to have to have a conversation about if, you know, he's still available, if somebody hasn't scooped them up yet. And if Jay Bateman struggles a little bit down the stretch, say to ourselves, you know, look, Will Muschamp's not going to be out there. He's not going to take a year off of coaching. And yeah. then if Bateman struggles, he'll be there next year. We might have to make a tough decision here. But as, a, as of right now, I think it's just – it is really, really hard to say after two years of him being there and after what you saw in year one, toss him to the street or yeah. Um So I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, one of the other questions that was brought up, and I saw this in a couple of Facebook groups, and I think this is something that we've kind of ignored a little bit here. Um, we've kind of put it out of our minds. But it's a very good point, and I think they have to start seriously considering with what we saw in this game. Is it time – I understand that – you always want to keep your most talented guys on the field. They might feel like there's some sort of drop-off. But I feel like it's time that we see some more defensive rotation on that side of the ball because when you rotate it in some of these fresher guys, even if their skill sets might not have been up to par, it seemed like they had enough of a skill set, enough raw talent to be able to have success. I, I think we've got to see some more of these young guys to yeah. keep other guys I, I don't think that's a question. I think Carolina, I mean, they'll be coming off a volley going into Notre Dame, but your main guys are they're beat up at this point of the year, and they're, they're, they're tired because they've been on the field a lot longer than, than they were wanting to be. You went, you know, for the first month of the year, you thought Carolina was going to be good enough defensively to where, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have this issue where guys are worn down. Well, that's not what happened. October and the beginning of November weren't, weren't kind to Carolina on the defensive side of the football with games at Florida State, Virginia, and, of course, this Wake Forest game didn't help them either. So I think you don't really have a choice. And – you know, all these guys are going to be able to redshirt if they want to redshirt anyway. So you're not, you're not, you don't have right. to worry about that. And it, if, if it worked against Wake Forest, there's probably proof it's going to work again, or you at least got to try it. And I mean, you got to just have some fresher guys out there. Even if it's two or three plays in a series, if you do that, that'll add up. And in the fourth quarter, your guys are more fresh than what they what they have been. Right. And when you, if you're going to try to beat Notre Dame, a team that is going to be as physical as a club as you've seen all year, you're going to need to be fresh in the fourth quarter. Same thing with Miami. Miami is a very physical, hard-nosed football team. You're going to need to be fresh, yep. or you're going to get pushed around, and you're probably going to get beat. So I think that's something that they, you know, you've got to bite the bullet and say, look, we may be giving up 
talent for two or three plays here and there, but we're going to be fresher in the fourth quarter, and that's what and that's what we want to be. Yeah, I, I don't think the talent drop off is really that much. I mean, the guys that we've seen come in. I mean, we again, big question in this game that we didn't ask yet, but I think we should ask. Where was Des Evans? That yeah. great performance, career performance against Duke, didn't didn't show up on the field. But to me, you know, I look at some of the guys at this point. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to bash any of these guys and say we should, you know, shouldn't have them on the team, whatever. I'm just looking at this strictly from an analytical standpoint of what I'm seeing when I'm watching games. I think Chris Collins should start over Tyrone Hopper. Yes. He's more effective on the outside. He can help you seal the, seal the edge as a run defender a little bit better. He gives you a little more pass rush ability. He's been better even in coverage. Yeah. He almost had an interception the mm-hmm. other day. So, I mean, some of those types of guys that you're concerned about, Jaquarius Conley at the nickel spot, I think if, you know, in all honesty, Don Chapman hasn't been great all year now. He's banged up. I think you move Trey Morrison back to safety, put Jaquarius Conley at nickelback, because I think he's a little good. He subbed in. He even had some pass rushing reps for you the other day and looked pretty good. I think overall, give him a chance. Again, you don't have – we're not saying, okay, switch him in. Now this guy's playing the whole game. He's playing 80, 90 snaps. You can rotate the young guys with some of the veteran guys, but get some of these younger players on the field, especially the guys that have come in and have done what they've needed to do, have proved themselves to you, and are probably sitting on the bench and maybe rightfully so saying to themselves, well, what did I do to lose reps? I mean, I thought I looked good when I went out there. Um, Another guy that we didn't mention, and I'm going to mention him really quick and then we can move on because, you know, he definitely deserves mentioning. Had him in the stock report, man, Tony Grimes looked great on the outside. That passing game for Wake Forest was tearing it up. We came in talking about Sam Hartman, guy that had thrown four picks all year. The best thing Sam Hartman had done all year was not turn the football over, which is important. Didn't again in this game, but he came in with four touchdown passes all year through four touchdown passes in this game alone. So they were picking apart this secondary. You throw in the reclassified true freshman. And again, I mean, he had some help over the top from his safeties a couple of times. There were a couple of drops that helped him. But I thought, especially in the man-on-man situations, which was what we knew he was going to thrive in from watching him in high school, I thought it looked great, especially for a guy that is still supposed to be in his senior year of high school. Yeah, his performance in that second half justified his decision to reclassify and join Carolina this year. And you got a glimpse of the guy that for probably the next two years will be a lockdown defensive back, and not only the ACC but college football. Football. And I think, as I mentioned, as a whole, you were talking about this rotation of the guys and, and putting guys in certain situations. The coach's job is to put guys in positions to succeed. And if Jay Bateman's being honest with himself, he hasn't done as good of a job this year as he did last year. And so maybe he takes oh, that, yeah. maybe he takes this week off and looks himself and has some self-reflection and saying, I've got to be better at what I'm supposed to do. Last year he did a fantastic job plugging or plugging and putting in guys in situations they were effective. But I also think, and this was brought up on social media on, on Saturday, I think by our guy John uh, Bauman, Bowman, however you want to say that man's last name. And I I have mentioned it almost every week on here, just how good Aaron uh, Crawford and Jason Strobridge were. They were even better than we thought because when the the play at those two positions declined, it made this whole entire defense crumble. And it made us question why Chance Surratt and Jeremiah Gimmel had regressed this year. They haven't regressed in any way. Carolina's up uh, defensive front had regressed, which made them look worse than what they have been. I'm going to have to disagree with you to a point mainly on Surratt because I feel like Surratt at times has taken some really unorthodox bad angles that could be in part 
to the defensive line. But I think also that's just Surratt maybe trying to do a little bit too much, overthinking certain situations that last year he just played with instinct yeah. because now he's he's a leader of the defense. I don't think it's all on the defensive front, but I get what you're saying. The other thing is, is like, look at the amount of reps that those guys played last year. They're trying to do that with Bowasek and Tamari Fox, but these guys are undersized. They don't have the stamina, which in part is not their fault because yeah. you had a COVID offseason where you couldn't condition yourself like normal. You can only do so much conditioning running out in front of your house with a mask on because you don't want to run into Janice walking her dog and get possible COVID contact. I mean, that's that's the problem that you sort of ran into this year. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a great point. I mean, at the same time, you know, again, I don't know if – well, you know, the way that the schedule is set up now, I don't know if we're going to see those types of performances against Notre Dame and Miami. I'm hoping not. This defense, you know, you've got to get motivated for those two games. Wake Forest, maybe you just kind of overlooked them a little bit. You were looking ahead to Notre Dame. You thought, okay, Wake Forest is a good team, not a great team. They're going to run the ball a lot. I don't, I, I don't know what happened, but you just got completely blown off the football on the on the defensive line, um, and that just completely destroyed your entire game yeah. plan. So they've got to find a way to get that in check. But I still feel confident that. Carolina will be at least motivated. I don't know if they're going to have enough to stop those two offenses that they're going to face, but I think the motivation is going to be there for those guys. On the offensive side, there's not really a whole lot of thing of motivating that is needed. They are motivated from the word go. This team has had, or this offense primarily, has had a lot of pressure on it the entire season. And last year at times, you could tell that they just weren't ready for the amount of pressure that they needed on them. This year, they are just standing up to that pressure saying, we know we've got to score. We've got no choice. This defense right now is just really struggling. And they found a way to do that. I mean, you know, of course, we'll, we'll talk about Sam at the end here because, I mean, come on. I think everybody can piece together who our offensive yeah. game is here. Um, but, I mean, you look at the offense as a whole. Let's start on the offensive line. Uh, Carolina, you know, pretty good performance in this one. Carlos Basham had, you know, had, was able to get some pressure at times um, off the outside against the Sim Richards. I think we've learned that with a Sim, you know, he has his moments where he's going to let up some plays, but a Sim has really sort of settled into that left tackle spot as the year has gone along. The biggest guy that everybody was focused on in this game though, was junior walk on Kieran Johnson, making his first start at center. And Kieran was on the stock report this week for a reason. He won uh, offensive lineman of the week from the staff this week. This guy, so much pressure on him to perform in a game that Carolina had to win. They needed their offense to be perfect pretty much the entire way. And I thought Kieran Johnson, again, I don't know, you know, if, if he let up quarterback pressures, whatever. I don't have those stats. But from what I saw, I thought he looked phenomenal in both the run game and the pass protection game, uh, especially for a guy that's a former walk-on. I believe he might have a scholarship now, but even if he doesn't, just an overall tremendous performance from him. Carolina's offensive line was a big reason why they were able to come back in the football game because when you got evident that Carolina's going to have to throw to get back in the game, you get uneasy because the offensive line is big reasons why they lost the two games they've lost this year because they couldn't protect Sam Howell long enough for him to get the ball to the playmakers on the outside. That didn't happen on Saturday. They were able to hold up and allow Sam to do what he does, and he was throwing darts all over the field, and he was making plays. 
And I think the thing that was pretty interesting to see is a lot of times when you see an offensive line that has to get back into one mode where they're just getting back into, into, into pass blocking stance, and then you switch it up and you start running the ball. Because once Carolina got within 14, they felt that they could run the football again. They were still blowing Wake Forest off the line of scrimmage. And so that's the thing is Stacey Searles, and a few weeks ago after I was pissed off at the at Virginia, I was adamant about his job needed to be on the line because they've been inconsistent. They've been very good since then, and he's done a really good job with a with a ever fluctuating group of guys yeah. rotating in and out of that lineup to give Carolina a chance week in, week out up front. And that happened again on Saturday because in the fourth quarter, when they wanted to start running the ball, Wake was tired, Carolina was not. And all of a sudden, Javante Williams and Michael Carter and then, of course, Sam Howell on the draw play had big running lanes to run through, and and that was a big part of the comeback. So, But Kieran Johnson, you can't say enough about what the job that man did because if, if, if he would have underperformed, we wouldn't have – you can't come on here and complain because you know that kid's going to bust his ass and give you as much as he can. Right. And he gave you more than enough on Saturday with the absence of Brian Anderson. So um, you would like to have Anderson back by the time they come back from the bye week and have him ready for that Notre Dame and, and those Miami games. But you feel comfortable if he can't play that Kieran Johnson will give you something positive on the football field. Yeah, no, I, I, that's the point we got to with Kieran. And, you know, we saw that earlier in the year. Maybe we shouldn't have been as nervous because he came in in that first game of the year and played well in place yeah. of Ed Montillas. He played a little bit at right tackle when – uh, Jordan Tucker went down with the injury. So, I mean, you know, you look at it. I mean, he, he's really stepped up throughout the year. Uh, you talked about the running game. It's kind of interesting. Slow start, mainly for Javante Williams. Mm-hmm. Didn't really do a whole lot early on. Still finished with over 100 yards rushing. Did exactly what he needed to do. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know – couple of circumstances. I mean, early in the game, I don't, nobody, this is one thing. We have been very critical of Phil Longo on this, on this show. We've been very, people in general have been very critical of Phil Longo with his strategic play calls at times. And there were some things you could scratch your head about in this game, mainly mm, the goal to go situation when it was second and goal from the three, you decide to throw it, take a sack and then run the ball on third and goal from the 10 but we're going to kind of let that go because of how good the offense played in this one. He gets a, he gets a, a mulligan there. Um, but I mean, the first drive of the game, you go for it on fourth down, fourth and two, you run with Javante Williams. Nobody should criticize that play. Goal. No. Should almost got it. Should I mean, pretty much should have had it. Had an, had um, an offensive lineman went and pushed him. He gets the first down. End of the first, end of the first half. He, uh, another fourth down conversion. Then, of course, they throw the deep ball to Deami Brown. You choose what you thought on that one. I thought by the rules, hits the ground. It was a catch because the tie goes to the receiver. But, you know, whatever. That's another one of those ones where even if it was just intercepted outright, you weren't going to get overly mad because you're, again, trying to take a shot on a defense that had let up a bunch. But he ends up picking up that one. Could have led to something before the half. But the big one was on the drive that tied the game, third and five, inside their own territory, Carolina hands the ball off to Javante, picks up eight, gets a first down. I don't think anybody, even at that time, was complaining, what are we doing? This guy has gotten to that point where – he, he, if he, he knows the situation, third and five, he knows I've got to pick up the first down. He will run through the entire defense to pick up the first down, and he just continues to get the job done. The numbers aren't flawless, but again, he finds the end zone in this game. That's eight straight games with a touchdown to start the season. The last Tar Heel to have a streak of that long on the ground, Giovanni Bernard. I mean, it's just you don't see that type of stuff. And then you got Michael Carter again. Not a spectacular day. 
But still, when they needed him to step up and make plays, Michael Carter stepped up and made plays, has the long touchdown catch that, you know, really gave Carolina a little bit of hope in the game as well. I mean, that's those are the types of things that you're looking for from your running backs, even on a day where they weren't utilized as much as they normally are. Yeah, and no, their ability to impact the game and and both the run and the pass game was felt in this one. And it's why they're being mentioned in the same breath as Reggie Bush and Lindale White. While that might be a bit of an exaggeration, their numbers are that good where they're supposed to be compared with those two guys. And we all know what those two guys did for USC uh, back in the day. But Javante, the, the, the run call on third and five with the situation just proves the trust that Carolina has in their offensive line to get the push and what they think Javante Williams is. And I've said it pretty much since that Virginia Tech game on. The offense goes through him when it needs to. Sam Howell is going to make the plays, but when Carolina needs to get yards, he's the one that's going to get you those yards. They're doing with Javante what we wanted Larry to do with Elijah Hood. They never trusted Elijah Hood to get those types of first downs, yeah. which we he could have. In that 15 season, he could have. In that 16 season, I think he probably felt that, and that was part of the reason why he just didn't Run show up every – yeah, show up every play. So, um, but um, it was it was a very – and I think the thing about the comeback was that they came back and they, they, they tied the game um, – you know, with the touchdown pass, but then they, 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 and you had the Sam Howell run, and then you had the, the game ceiling touchdown on the ground. And that's Carolina can throw on any team in the country. Right. I don't care who you line out there, they can stand back there and they can pick teams apart. But when they can line up and they can run the football like they can, that's what makes them as dangerous as they can be. And that's why you're going to enter these games against Notre Dame Miami feeling as you have a chance because you've got a complete offense. Sam Howell might have thrown for 550 yards and six touchdowns and was phenomenal. He was. But you know that the offense, when it when it's when it's structured right, is going to run through you two running backs and you're comfortable and you're comfortable doing that. I mean, he still ran for nearly 200 yards on the ground yeah. in a game where you threw for 550 yards. Exactly. That's just unheard of. Um, let's you know go into the passing game a little bit here, folks on the receivers here just really quickly before we move on and give our players of the game and talk about Sam. Um you know, Deami Brown, another great performance. Eight catches, 163 yards, uh, two touchdowns in this game. Just looked great. Um, you know, again, with that performance and with the Virginia performance, that's put him right in position to get himself back over 1,000 yards yeah. this year. He's going to probably get there. He's just been fantastic, continues to thrive in that deep, uh, that, that deep pass-catching role. Five of his eight catches over 20 yards down the field. I mean, that's just ridiculous. What a phenomenal performance for him. But the guy that really broke out in this game after having an extremely quiet year is Daz Newsom. Yeah. This was the best game that Daz Newsom has probably played in his entire career. Ten times he was targeted, ten catches, 189 yards. He did it after the catch. He was able to create separation for another long touchdown. It, it took him a while. I think he's really been thrown off by some teams that have really been bracketing him, double-teaming him, trying to throw him off his game. But this is this is the Daz Newsom that we need to see the rest of the year for Carolina in this passing game. I don't know if it's overly crucial because you've had so much success with other guys, but if you want this offense to be able to put up numbers to where you don't have to be 
too concerned about your defense struggling. You need Daz Newsom to keep playing like that. Yeah, no, he came into the game with a parent chip on his shoulder, and it was – and you could see every time he touched the football, he was electric, he was physical, he was talking his talk. He was Daz Newsom. And when he is feeling himself, he's as good a slot receiver there is in college football, and he makes Carolina's offense even more potent than it already is. Because you know you can give the ball to Choffrey Brown or Emory Simmons and those guys, and they can make plays. But they can't make plays like Daz Newsom can make plays. They're not as electric as he is. And he just brings a different when, – when he's involved and he's making plays, there's a different energy around Carolina's offense. And it just kind of – it, it kind of just permeates throughout the whole team. And that's what happened on Saturday. And I'm with you. I think – I mean, you're not going to ask him to have 10 catches and almost 200 yards, but you're, you you need him to be involved. And you right. need Phil Longo. I'm at the point now where if you got to force him a ball or two, you force him a ball or two. I'm not saying you throw it in over and over again to try to get him involved. But you need to have one or two shots where you just understand, like, look, at this point, we're going to try to get him the football because if he makes a play – it could change the outcome of the game. He's that kind of guy. And then for Deami Brown, just a just a monster on the outside. The interception was an interception. That was a catch. Um, yep. yep. I would have – and I've been critical of Max, you know, some type of reaction. That's time where, like, you know, even if it doesn't help you, just lose your mind. Just, you know, just go out and just, t- you know, say what you think. And just let them know that you at least think they're wrong. But he, it was still, it was still was a great effort. Very unhappy um, about that. Call. It was a great effort from 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 Diami, and he's just he's been an animal. It's kind of like watching a mini Des Bryant for me as a former da- uh, the former Dallas Cowboy, just going up and mossing people and getting up and 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 taunting them in their faces. I'm a big fan of that. But Carol, I mean Carolina needs he, they need him. And every time that Sam Howell says, go make a play, he goes and makes a play. And it's it's been really exciting to see that Virginia game kind of got him going. And this offense in the passing game really – it's 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 grown from where it was at the beginning of the year, which is saying something because they've been swinging the ball around the field since Syracuse. Is that 54-yard catch where he rips it away from the defender in the second quarter, is that his best catch of the entire season? Yeah, I mean, that was just one that, like, <laughs> I just laughed. That's like, just – that's just a- – a strong will. Like they said on the play, your great job by, which I thought the AC network crew, by the way, was really good. Mm-hmm. I was, I was very D- excited. About Dave it. O'Brien and Tim Hasselbeck right. aren't bad, but you know, Carolina should be getting better announcers. They oh, play on of, ACC network. Of course. But when you lose to Florida state and Virginia, right. you got to play on the crap network, but they did a great job on that play. Tim Hasselbeck said he was pretty much a defender, but when he realized that he had a chance to rip the ball away and make a catch, he found a way to just outwill the guy and take it away from yeah. him. I mean, that's that's the type of player that you're getting in Deami Brown. And so no, it's no wonder that guys like him, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, all these guys are doing what on sock or on, on draft boards, trending yeah. up. All these guys heading towards uh, potentially getting drafted this year if they end up leaving. Guy that won't be able to leave after this year. And man, we're happy about that. Sam Howell, uh, we're just going to go ahead and say it. Offensive player of the game, Heeltop Blog offensive player of the game, not even close. Look, Daz, great performance. Deami Brown, great performance. Sorry, not even – I mean, this is one that afterwards, former Tar Heel record holder – for passing yards in a game and Tar Heel great quarterback Marquise Williams said that the man should have a statue built for him outside of Keenan Stadium. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's at this point, it might not be as wild as once thought because this man has 61 passing touchdowns already yeah. in his career. That is tied with Marquise Williams 
And guess what? He's still got three games to go guaranteed mm-hmm. in his sophomore season. Could have a bowl game or potentially the ACC championship game if enough things break right. Um, 550 yards passing in this game, program record. Six passing touchdowns in this game, program record. One rushing touchdown on the ground. First quarterback since Lamar Jackson to have six passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown in a game in ACC history. Also the only other guy to do that. Him and Lamar are the only two that have ever done that. Seven total touchdowns in the game, program record. So, I mean, everything that this guy did was fantastic statistically. And then you just talk about some of the throws that he was making. Some wise ass on social media wanted to tell me that, well, you know, his receivers were wide open. Why shouldn't he be hitting them? Well, first of all, you moron, this is how it works. For Sam Howell to have those guys wide open, what has to happen? He has to execute the RPL. Our offense is heavily based on the RPL. How do you think some of these guys get open? Because of his understanding of the offense and his ability to execute it. He also has to make the throws. Go back and watch games last year, primarily that game against Pittsburgh. He made a cut. He had a couple of overthrows in that game. This guy played about as good of a game as you could ever hope for. And what was the other thing that we saw from him in this game that we did not see earlier in the year and was something they were focused on working on him with? When you're under pressure and there's no one open, throw the ball out of bounds. He did that multiple times in this game. All of them you could live with. And overall, it made for the best performance of his career. And I don't even think it's close. He was fantastic. Put this team on his back. Yeah, he did all that, and he made me tweet the F-bomb in a positive manner after he ran the touchdown in. I referred to him as seven god. Well, I mean, It doesn't I, have the ring that it doesn't ten, have god ring does. ten god does. Not quite. He's better than Mitchell Trubisky. He deserves a statue. Yes. If Carolina is going to stay nationally relevant for the next five to ten years, Sam Howell is the reason why. Um, we understood why there was such an importance of flipping his recruitment, getting his ass to Chapel Hill, getting that arm into this offense. And he mentioned in the offseason, what was he wanting to do? And he said he watched a lot of uh, Joe Burrow tape and started NFL defenses. He looked like Joe Burrow did last year at LSU on mm-hmm. Saturday. Yeah. Where yep. he just stood back there and he made that. every throw Carolina asked him to make, and he made it look effortless. And I think that's the thing is that he makes it look easy. And in reality, it's not that easy what he's doing on the football field. Right. And I, I think, you know, you got you to gotta credit uh, Phil Longo for putting him in a position to succeed. Um, and, and a lot of it is on him, is that he's not let the national noise, because there's a lot of it, get to him. Yep. There's a lot of pressure on him, and he just comes out, puts his helmet on, and plays football. He's grown as a leader on and off the field, and that's the thing about him is that he's growing every week, and that's really fun to watch, despite the fact he's putting up numbers, and he's and he's breaking records, and he's winning games, is that he's growing every week, and he's becoming, he's becoming something that for our generation, he will be our Charlie Justice, or our Don McCauley, or our Dre Blyde. He'll be that kind of generational type player for us, and that's fun for us as fans, and uh, it also helps that he's just really damn good, and we got to enjoy him because he only has uh, three games and one year left in Chapel Hill before he's off the NFL. So yeah, yeah. Um, 
I would, yeah. yeah, I'd be very stunned. That, that was the league. best quarterback performance I've ever seen a Tar quarterback put on. And I've seen – I saw Marquise Williams torch Duke. I saw what T.J. Yates did against LSU in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game that one year where he just swung the ball around. I've seen some good performance. I've seen Brent Renner. That's the best I've ever seen in my 10-plus years watching Carolina football. Yeah, I mean, every time he needed to step up, he just continually stepped up and made the plays that he had to. What a phenomenal performance from Sam Howell. Uh, move over to the defense. Defensive side of the ball, um, you know, I would say maybe this was like Virginia where we wouldn't give one out, but I feel like the young guys stepped up enough late. I think the defensive player of the game here, well-deserved, heel-tough log, defensive player of the game goes to Tony Grimes. Yeah. Stepped up when he needed to, uh, had some really great plays on the outside against some receivers that were really just – taking it to Carolina um, when, and, and help Carolina be able to come back in this game. So, Tony, congratulations. Uh, the first of what should be many defensive players of the game here uh, on this podcast as the year goes along. So now we move into the bye week, Carolina's third bye week of the season. Of course, the first one of the year was not planned. That was built in because of uh, Charlotte. Uh, having some COVID problems there. Then you had the bye week, the second week of the year. Now, this is a much-needed bye week. Those bye weeks, we were kind of saying to ourselves, we don't need these. We need to try to keep playing, get build some more momentum. This one is desperately needed. Yeah. In between this game against Wake Forest, a tough one, historic comeback. Now you have to go get prepared for a game against a Notre Dame team that looks as good as they have looked in a long time. They've got their quarterback now, Ian Book, settled into a rhythm. Uh, he's pretty much doing, you know, what we thought he could do if he ever sort of settled himself down, stopped overthinking things, trying to be a Heisman-like guy and just played football. Um, so Carolina definitely needs this bye week off. Also, Started out with a little bit of news for them on Monday. Final two weeks of the schedule shifted around. Western Carolina now moved up from uh, that Friday night game on de uh, December 11th, now moved to December 5th. So that game will be played unless there is some sort of COVID issue on one of the two sides. Miami has been moved to December 12th because they've had some COVID issues in their program, which has forced them to postpone their next two weeks of activity. That means that the road to the ACC championship is a rather interesting one. One thing that we know for Carolina, went out. Got to win out the rest of the way. I mean, you don't have to win the game against Western. If you lose that game, I don't – I wouldn't even know how to – allowed to compete in the ACC championship game. They should just kick you out. So, you have to win out. You have to win out in the ACC. Notre Dame has to lose to either Syracuse or to Wake Forest, one of their final two games after Carolina. But there is a scenario where – Carolina could still see Notre Dame lose two games, including one of the losses being to them, and still not make the ACC championship game. R.L. Bynum of the Tar Heel Tribune, he has a, a site that he started up. He does a great job writing for them. We've had R.L. on a couple of times to, uh, you know, over on the uh, Roy's Voice podcast. I don't think I've ever had him over. I don't think I have yet, no. we got to get him on at some point. But um, he sort of went into the scenario. If Miami was to not play a game the rest of the year, let's say the COVID outbreak is that bad, and we've seen one. Charlotte is one of those teams. They've had recurring issues. They've gotten a couple of games in there, but for the most part, it's been a rough year for them. If they weren't to play a game the rest of the year, that means Carolina would finish the season 7-2 and two in conference play. Even if they had the win over Notre Dame, Notre Dame would be 8-2 and two in conference play, which would mean that Notre Dame would have the percentage advantage and would go to the ACC championship game. In that scenario, 
if Miami was to not play and if Carolina wasn't to, you know, maybe shift around, if the whole schedule got canceled for Miami, there's a scenario where Georgia Tech could possibly play, play Carolina to try to help them meet, uh, you know, their vacancy on their schedule if that game was canceled as well. That would mean that Notre Dame would have to lose out the final three games of the regular season. Not sure that we're too confident that that's going to happen. The big thing here, though, that I want to talk about just really quickly before we sort of wrap up and head out of here. You know, when you look at the scenarios, where would you gauge your confidence that this is still a possibility for Carolina? I feel like the offense has you somewhat confident that the win out part can happen. I am most concerned about Notre Dame losing after Carolina because Carolina is very clearly the toughest game they have left on their schedule. Yeah, it's hard because we've spent the last 30, 35 minutes talking about a big time win where halfway through the game, I texted you, this is a joke. And I left the game still thinking we've got a lot of work to do, Mm -hmm. but they've done what we asked them to do, which was just give themselves a chance. I think then flipping the Miami and Western Carolina game helps them. Yep. I because you can kind of break up those two games as you, because you've got to treat Notre Dame as that's your season. If you want to achieve some big time goals, you got to put everything into that game mm-hmm. and you're going to have to get over the distractions of it being on a Friday, but being at the day after Thanksgiving and all that. But if you find a way to win that, then you get Western. You will probably afford to rest a lot of your guys and you'll shoot, you know, so you can kind of treat that as a mini bye week. And then you go to Miami and you kind of got to do the same thing. So you don't got to do that back to back weeks. But I just think it, you know, Carolina's defense is going to is, is what's going to determine. I think Carolina will score with Notre Dame. I think they can score with Miami. Both offenses I can put up forty just about any week, but I don't know if they can stop them. But it helps that they have to do it. They don't do it back to back weeks, so they give themselves a chance. And I, I think that's all you wanted to ask her. You want that's all you wanted to have after the two losses you had in October was just mm-hmm. give yourselves a chance. You've got a quarterback that can go get the job done. You've got an offense that can get the job done. Unless you want to turn this into, into a Big Twelve tracking every week, you need that defense. To improve mightily, and that could happen in the, over the bye week and ending in the Notre Dame. Yeah, I wrote the article that sort of, you know, I, I said it did benefit Carolina. One of the other things that, you know, it helps benefit, especially this defense, is that with that extra week, you potentially could get back some of the guys that are injured yeah. for that game against Miami, which, like you said, you know, I mean, yeah, you've got to come in both weeks. You know, so for for these next this next week and a half, your focus has got to be okay. We have got to put everything we've got into winning this game against Notre Dame. Like you said, you lose this game, I mean your season could could be over because if you don't play in the ACC championship game, there is a chance your bowl game will get canceled. Yeah, I mean there that we've that seems inevitable that a lot of bowl games are probably just not going to happen. The facilities aren't going to want to risk hosting. Um, you know, there, how much money can honestly be made? The TV contracts might be the only thing that keeps them, but that's what you've got to bring that type of energy into that game. And then you have to do the same thing with Miami. Now you can't over completely overlook Western Carolina. Granted Western Carolina, unless they play again this week, I think that they have, only played one game this entire year. They just played this past weekend um, for the first time this year. But, you know, that's the thing for Carolina. That's a huge break for them to be able to recollect themselves after Notre Dame. If you win that game, you got to think that if you win that game, that is an extremely emotional win. That's a game that's going to take a lot out of you. You mentioned it earlier. 
two very physical games that you're looking forward to in that. So not having to play those back-to-back, playing a physical game, then having Western Carolina, then playing your second physical game will definitely help. So I think, you know, the chances are there for Carolina, but realistically, I mean, you look at the, at the FPI, clearly the best opportunity for Notre Dame to lose out of those two games is Wake Forest. They still give the Fighting Irish a 79.7% chance to win that game. So, a lot of things stacked against Carolina, but at least it could come down to the final week of the regular season if Carolina can get the job done against Notre Dame. So uh, we'll wrap it up. A couple of things that we just wanted to mention before we get out of here. First of all, the hashtag vote Javante third train uh, is beginning to pick up steam. Our guy, John Bauman, who we mentioned freelancer for the Tar Heels was the man that started the Javante train. Well, now, the goal of a lot of Toriel fans is to try to get Javante's name out there and sort of generate the possibility that he could get enough third place votes to be included on the Heisman voting results. He'll, he'll get enough votes to be on the ballot. He could have a chance if enough people were to get him the votes to be the Heisman Trophy winner. We think, again, that is highly unlikely. Um, but at the same time, uh, it would be interesting because this will be the first time since 2001 that Carolina would have a guy in the hunt for the Heisman Trophy. Can you name the guy that was in the Heisman Trophy back race back in 2001? Julius Peppers. There you go. Nailed it. That'd be the first guy since him uh, to be able to do that. First offensive player, because um, Dre Bly was in there a couple of times. I believe he would be the first offensive player just off the top of my head since mm, either Mike Voigt or Amos to be in the Heisman race. That is just nuts to think about that. Um, so, you know, again, you know, he's putting up the numbers. We'll see if the voters will be able to jump on that. But uh, Carolina fans getting very passionate, even some of the Carolina writers, including us, sort of trying to push a little bit to get Javante into that spotlight because that'd be great to see a guy that was, you know, seen as, you know, an afterthought in that 2018 recruiting class sort of, you know, was thrown into action, played well in a game against Western Carolina. I remember we were sitting there. We went to the game in 2018, Larry Fedora's final game against NC State. They had to start Javante Williams because there were so many injuries. And we were saying to ourselves, I mean, look, he looked good against Western Carolina. Do we actually believe that this guy is going to give us any chance in this game against State? He was fantastic. Gave Carolina some hope in that game and hasn't looked back since. What a great story that would be for him. Uh, Great stories for Carolina that uh, have already happened and are going to culminate later on this year in the Reese's Senior Bowl. Both Michael Carter and Chad Surratt received invites. How about that? Michael Carter, a guy that, you know, hadn't really lived up to expectations heading into last year, broke out last year, having another phenomenal year this year, ends up getting and accepting the invitation. Uh, For Chad Surratt, the Reese's the, the Reese's Senior Bowl account hasn't officially announced it, but we're assuming that Chaz is going to accept the invitation, but he has officially been invited uh, to the Senior Bowl. And again, this is another guy last offseason was being transitioned from quarterback, made the start in the game against South Carolina with us pulling our hair out, saying, how are you going to start a former quarterback at linebacker against South Carolina in Mac Brown's first game when you're trying to pull an upset and get this program turned back in the right direction. Again, he stepped up, had a humongous performance in that game. 
and has just been phenomenal for the Tar Heels since at linebacker. What a great story for both of those guys who are now going to the Reese's Senior Bowl. So congratulations to both Michael and to Chaz. So uh, that wraps it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Again, we want to tell you guys, make sure you go to the website, heeltoughblog.com. A lot of great stuff up there, even over the bye week. Of course, you can go back, look at all the stuff from this past week, the recap of the game against Wake Forest, the trench report from the game against Wake Forest, and the stock report for week 10, which will show you the guys that are trending up and down heading into the bye week. A lot of really interesting stuff in there. Uh, we got the article that we wrote up, uh, that I wrote up last night about uh, what Carolina, you know, the schedule flip for Carolina does. Does it end up benefiting them? How much does it end up benefiting them? So you guys can go back and read that as well. Also coming out this week, we're going to go back onto the recruiting trail. We haven't had a lot of recruiting focus yet. There hasn't been a lot of recruiting news, but we are going to take a look at the 2022 class and I am going to make my official predictions for who will be some of the guys you should keep an eye on to become the first commitment in the 2022 class. You've seen it start to rev up around the country. There's been some targets that have made their decisions already, but uh, Carolina hasn't been the decision for any of those guys just yet. So we'll tell you who we think could possibly be that first guy for Carolina. Um, and that's really it for the football front. Until then, we, of course, turn around and turn our focus to the game against Notre Dame. There'll be a lot of coverage on that leading up to it. We'll have the preview, of course, for you guys. And then we'll, of course, have everything during that weekend on Friday. Uh, we'll end up having that recap out for you. It's a 3.30 game, so we'll be up that night. Um, and we'll, of course, uh, have the trench report and stock report. Those will actually be moved up a day to give you even a little more time to sort of uh, read during the week before then of course we have to get prepared for the catamounts that next week the basketball team man they are right around the corner from taking the court buddy how many days is it from today before we get started and what are you doing to prepare for the season yeah not of recording we're seven weeks away from the season stepping off against the college of charleston next wednesday six o'clock in the smith center um and we're, we're you know we're, we're on the verge of getting you guys about as ready as we can be it's been a very weird offseason because of covid you kind of approached it very differently about how much do we want to preview for a season that may not even happen of course it already got delayed but i've already gotten a uh, front court preview up a backcourt preview up we're recording a, a podcast night with our other buddy mark krings previewing the whole entire season and then next week we get back into game previews and game recaps starting with the college of charleston one of the maui invitational coming up the week after thanksgiving because of covid it got moved back a week from its traditional week of thanksgiving slot but you know as i mentioned on our podcast this is our busy time and we couldn't be more happier about it where we're riding football right. we're riding basketball they're only going to overlap for a little bit this year but uh really excited to see these guys there's a lot of good stuff coming out about this team about how they're ready to respond from last year's really embarrassment if you want to be quite frank so interested to see what we got this year on the basketball side of things it's been a fun football season though for sure that's right all that stuff on the heel tough blog website of course you guys can also find the roy's voice podcast on the website just like you can find the heel tough blog podcast and you can find it on all of those different podcasting apps as for the Heel Tough Blog podcast, again, make sure that you like and follow the Facebook page so you get the notifications whenever our video podcast is going to go up. We will set it as a premiere. You'll get that notification that we're about to have premiere a video so you guys can tune in, watch it. Um, and, of course, we'll always be in there. We're always looking, seeing that, you know, what people are commenting, answering questions if you have any of them. We always love those types of things, so make sure that you guys keep those coming, and we're glad that you guys have been able to jump on with the video platform. We just can 
continue to have so much success with the video platform. And for the people that are still with us on the audio side of things, we greatly appreciate that as well. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Rating and reviewing helps us move up some of those ratings so that people that haven't found this Tar Heel podcast can find it. And then, of course, the subscribing is for you so that you get every episode right in your podcast player. It'll tell you when there's a new episode so you can click on it and listen to it right then and there. So I want to thank Josh for being with me for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!